0: The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org.
1: Thank you for the opportunity to testify of God's grace in my life. Um, Please bear with me. I had a a wee bit of oral surgery on Friday, so it's a little tough to talk. I hope you can understand me okay. Um, But as as, uh, Pastor Tab says, my name is Gabriel, or you can call me Gabe, however many syllables you feel like spitting out. Um, But I'll get started here. Um, My salvation experience and testimony tells of the boundless grace of God for sinners, even one such as I. I was raised in a Christian home as a church elder's son. I grew up hearing the truth from the time I was born. And though I believed it, I still wanted to go my own way. In my early teenage years, I rebelled and went after the delights of the world. In them, I found my thirst for ultimate satisfaction only grew greater, and my feelings of helplessness and entrapment in sin only grew stronger. In his mercy, God opened my eyes to see these sinful pleasures were fleeting. They would only lead to my eternal doom, and I was was powerless to free myself from them. At the age of 16, in an act of desperation, I told my parents all that I'd been up to. I confessed my total inability to stop despite my best efforts, and I asked for help. More than this, through this confession, Jesus led me to his throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in my time of need. By the power of his spirit and through the counsel of his word, he showed me in him alone would I find satisfaction salvation, and freedom from the sin I was enslaved to. And I left my old life behind, changed schools, separated from my old friend group, so that was important for me to do at the time, and I stepped out to live for God. Although I was determined to live a new life, my 20s involved backsliding during the first two years of my my four-year enlistment in the Marine Corps. But the same redemption and mercy God showed to King David was also shown to me. He mercifully granted me repentance and led me to obey him out of love for him and by the power of his spirit in me. In my stumbling, the Lord did not cast me away, but rather disciplined me with the discipline of a loving father. He drew me out into a dry land without water, and he taught me to love him and his word more than anything in this world as he gave me living water. God has continued this loving discipline through chronic illness and pain. For close to seven years now, I've been living with debilitating chronic head pain and fatigue day and night without respite. And I've also contracted Lyme disease due to my chronically weakened immune system, among other certain medical issues. Surgery Friday was the ninth tooth I've had to have removed because of a weak immune system, so there's, there's some issues, but... God is faithful. Now, these issues are so severe that even leaving home for a few hours is very difficult. I do not remember what it is like to not be in pain. Through this season of physical and emotional suffering, God has been cleansing me further of the idols of my past life. Through many tears and anguished cries of, why, Lord, why, he has taught me that nothing in this world can satisfy my search for purpose and peace. There is no hope to be found in a good career, human applause, or financial stability. We will all die someday, and we cannot take any of these things with us. Through this infirmity, he lovingly put my selfish dreams for my life to death and showed me he has a better way, a path of righteousness laid out for me to walk in for his namesake. I would not trade the suffering of these past years for anything because, in them, God has taught me to rely on Him, seek contentment in Him, and to love His precious Word. I've spent the last few years studying His Word out of a true and earnest desire to know Jesus Christ more. The desire is God given because, for most of my life, reading the Bible or praying was a chore. But by having much of my physical strength and comfort taken away, I learned God, Jesus Christ, is my source of strength and comfort. He has given me hope that even a life lived in pain every single day has significance and is preparing me and us for an eternal weight of glory I can hardly even comprehend right now. There is so much hope for all of us as we all suffer In this life, this life is not the end, and we need to have that eternal perspective if we are to carry on in the path Christ has cut for us to walk in a fallen world. Jesus is my life, my Lord, and my greatest friend. I love him, and I thank him for keeping count of every tear I have shed. If you do not know him, I invite you to consider Christ. He saved my life. And he wants to save yours, too. Thank you very much. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Gabriel. So I hope you are hearing the joys of God's saving grace. I hope you are longing for others to know God's saving grace. And yet, boy, I hope... And pray God gives us such a profound sense of God's sustaining grace in our lives. To that end, would you please turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 17. The book of Exodus, chapter 17. Before Alan reads, I'm going to ask for God's help for us. Oh, Lord, thank you for that rich testimony of your grace. May we long for others to know the saving grace we enjoy, and would you pour out sustaining grace now in the form of meeting us in your word. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand a staff with which you struck the Nile, and go, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Word of the Lord. Thank you, Alan.
3: Well, today, today we pick up our story in Exodus in the desert, and the Israelites, they've run out of water. Now, this isn't the first crisis, is it? In the last six weeks, they ran out of food, water, and faced a murderous Egyptian army. In each crisis, they witnessed miraculous acts of God that saved them. So their wilderness experience has included both suffering and expressions of God's grace. And don't we experience the same? Don't we experience the same thing in life? I mean, do you sometimes feel like you're trudging through a wilderness, emotionally, spiritually? We have seen, this, the, we've seen the grace of God expressed in our own lives, in this world, in our friends, in nature, in the very blessings of God in our life, but we have also experienced pain and disappointment. There are times in life when challenges come at you fast and hard. You might keep your mind and your spirit together most of the time, but if you're like me, there are times when we feel overwhelmed. There are times when we just lose it. (laughs) And this is one of those times for the Israelites. The Israelites, they've grumbled before, but this time is different. These people have hardened their hearts against God. And that's the first part of the story. The first part of the story, we're going to see people with hard hearts. And the second part of the story, the second part tells us of God performing acts of grace in surprising and even shocking ways, this is God's grace to a hard-hearted people. Two parts of the story, people with hard hearts, God's grace for them. We're just like them. In our own wilderness journey, aren't we tempted to harden our hearts toward God? So this story brings good news to us. It's good news because despite the hardness of our hearts, God's grace is enough for us. Despite the hardness of our hearts, God's grace is enough for us. And God gives us an example of this in Exodus 17. The hardness of the Israelites' heart led to a rebellion that is so serious that even centuries later, writers from both the Old and New Testament, well, they refer to this day as an example of failure. An example of failure. So let's look at these people, this people with hard hearts. People with hard hearts. Follow me in verse one. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on From the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim. But there was no water there for the people to drink. See, the people left an oasis. They left an oasis in Elam, and they loaded up water for their families and their animals. But it it was used up rapidly in the desert, and the water situation is getting desperate. Moses brings them to a place called Rephidim, meaning resting place. That place, that place is very, very disappointing. Just sand, rock, and blistering heat. And most important, no water. Have you ever gone for a long time without water? Your body craves it. It needs it. And maybe you can tough it out. Maybe you can. But what what about the kids? What about the animals? Imagine prodding your kids along, promising them that the next rest stop will have water. But then you get there, and you find that Moses has brought you to a place with no water. Well, the men decide... It's time to do something about this. It's time to take control. It's time for a mutiny. (laughs) Verse two. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Two important words here, quarrel and test. And this test in this context is more like the word trial. And quarrel, that's not just an argument. This word is more hostile than that. You use this word when filing charges in court. See, what's happening here is the Israelites are putting God on trial. Let me say that again. The Israelites, they're putting God on trial. Verse 3, the people thirsted there for water. The people grumbled against Moses and said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? See, God God had promised, God had promised to bring them to a land. He had promised to make them into a great nation. But none of that happens if they die here in the desert. The Israelites were charging God with abandoning them in the desert to die. A charge that implied that God was breaking his promise. And in verse seven, they get right to the point. They say, is God with us or not? To them, the answer is no. So it's time to put God on trial and execute Moses as his representative. Now, part of me, part of me, part of me understands. I mean, I understand the Israelites. This guy leads me out into the desert. We run out of water, and he thinks it's okay to stop in a place with no water. I might be angry, too, especially if I brought my kids out with me. But there's an important question we need to consider here. Why has God brought them there? Why? I think the story of Exodus makes it clear that God is teaching them something. He's teaching them to trust him. Do you remember what Tab said last week about this? He said that God is leading them like a parent and teaching them. God brings them into situations that require greater degrees of dependence on God. And this is all being done to strengthen their faith and grow their trust in him. But they're not learning, are they? Centuries later, David writes Psalm 95. And he writes this to explain this story here. Psalm 95, he says, Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Meribah, Massa, in the wilderness, He's talking about this place and this day, the day they put God on trial. Though they had seen his work. What work? What work is he talking about? In the last two months, they've seen a lot. In the last two months, when they were afraid, God parted the Red Sea and wiped out the Egyptian army. When they were lost, he guided them with a cloud by day and fire by night. Thirsty? Bitter water was healed so they could drink. Hungry? Quail shows up in the evening and manna in the morning, but just enough for the day so they could trust God for tomorrow. And if not for God's saving acts, they'd still be back in Egypt. They'd be back in Egypt making bricks under the tyranny of Pharaoh. See, David David writes Psalm 95 to warn us. He writes Psalm 95 to warn us. Don't be like them. Don't be like that. But what would it look like to trust God in this situation. David tells us in Psalm 95, the same place, in contrast to his warning about hardening our hearts. He writes this. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. David is showing us here a critical choice. A critical choice in how we respond to suffering in our wilderness experience. See, we can cry to God for help. Crying out to God believes in faith that he is present, and he is for us. When we cry to God in faith, we know that God, he is our only hope. We know that we are the sheep of his hand and that he gently guides us to food and to water. On the other hand, quarreling, Quarreling is faithless. It assumes that God has abandoned us. Or it assumes that he has evil intentions toward us. So we harden our hearts toward him. And David says, don't do that. Don't be like that. But I I think if we're honest, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all have the potential to rebel like the Israelites. To harden our hearts against God. Because isn't it true that our own trials raise these very same questions and these same accusations? Are you really there, God? And if you are, you don't seem to be caring for me right now. Each of us has a weakness, a weakness that might tempt us to quarrel with God and harden our hearts. I'll share one of mine with you. Um, It's pain, pain, chronic pain. Bad genetics here, bad genetics. And a back injury from decades ago um, give me chronic pain that I just have to manage every day. And honestly, honestly, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. On my bad days, I'm tempted to believe that God has been unfair with me. I'm tempted to believe that because, well, my faith and my service to God, I'm owed something, right? I'm owed something. So I put God on trial. In my rebellion, I might say, "God, I deserve better." God, are you with me or not?" Can you relate to that? Pain. Pain can be physical, but it can also be emotional, right? Depression. anxiety? Well, those things can be just as exhausting and debilitating as physical pain. And for some of us here, it feels overwhelming. And in those times when you feel overwhelmed, are you tempted to harden your heart against God? There we go. (laughs) Maybe, maybe you put God on trial with accusations that he has abandoned you or that he means you harm. In Psalm 95, David tells us to remember God's work in our lives. Remember God's work in our lives. To remember his faithfulness and nearness to us. But sometimes... Sometimes in our suffering, in our discouragement, or because of our own anxiety, we just forget. Just forget, don't we? In those times, it's good to have a friend. It's good to have a brother or sister to remind us of the nearness and goodness of God. My friends, That's why the church is here. Are you walking through a wilderness experience today? Are you struggling with those questions? Is God really here? Does God care for me? Well, I I would encourage you, come up front after the service today. Come up front for prayer. Go to your home group meeting. Especially on the days when you don't feel like going because you want to give your brothers and sisters the opportunity to remind you the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God's grace is enough. God's grace is enough for the brokenhearted. God's grace is enough for the crushed spirit. God's grace is enough even for the hardhearted. And that moves us into the second part of this story where God's grace is enough. This shows us, this second part will show us that God's grace is enough. So let's read on in verse five. The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Do you remember the day when Moses struck the Nile in Egypt and the river turned to blood? Well, that's the staff he took. Moses struck the Nile and everything in it and all the water died. That's a, this is a staff of judgment. It was used against Pharaoh who the Bible said, hardened his heart against God. Everyone in the camp, they knew that bringing in this staff, bringing in this staff and the elders meant that justice was coming. People are getting their trial. That's what's happening here. The people are getting their trial. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the charges are that God has abandoned us. Either he is not here or that he doesn't care. So let the testimony begin. The Lord speaks. Verse six. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, You shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. We wish to to admit Exhibit 1 into evidence. God is standing before you on the rock. The last time God said, I will go before you, he appeared in a cloud. The text doesn't say that here, but it's possible that that's what happened here as well. The people know he is there because he manifested his presence and told Moses. Exhibit two, exhibit two, this place, this place, Horeb. Horeb is the very place where God first appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Isn't that amazing? They're all the way here to where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. In chapter 3, God told Moses, I will be with you, and you will know this is true. This is what he says. You will know this is true when you bring the people here. See, Horeb, Horeb is a place that is so remote that the idea of bringing something like a million people here seemed preposterous, across the Red Sea, through the desert where there's no water, there's no food, yet here you are. And one of the signs that I am with you is that you made it to this place. Exhibit three. He gives them water. Moses strikes the water and water, not just a little water, enough water for like a million people suddenly just appears out of the rock. Wow. Now the story is not to be confused with a similar story. When God told Moses to speak to the rock, this is a different story, when God told Moses to speak to a rock. In that story, Moses disobeyed and struck the rock twice out of anger, an act that kept him from entering the promised land. Now, that incident, that happens 40 years in the future in a different place. This event, this event is at Horeb. And God told Moses to strike the rock. Moses obeyed water came out, and the people drank. So please, let me allow to summarize. Please allow me to summarize here. The accusation is that God has abandoned us, yet God is here on the rock, almost a million people made it through the desert to Horeb, and water just appeared out of a rock. I rest my case. Does the jury wish to vote now? Clearly, clearly God has not abandoned them, right? Yet these hard-hearted people grumble. They file charges. They threaten to kill Moses. This is a mutiny. So let me ask you, who's guilty here? Did the people deserve this kind of grace from God? Did the people deserve this water? No. They deserve to die. And as Moses raises this staff of judgment, who is it going to fall on? The staff of judgment falls on God who stands before him on the rock when god says that he will stand there he is saying you are guilty but i will take the punishment that you deserve i'll take your place does that remind you of anyone it should And I don't even need to speculate here. I don't need to speculate because Scripture just comes out and tells us. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, this Exodus generation, our fathers, were all under the cloud, the cloud that God appeared in, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. We saw manna. And all drank the same spiritual drink today. For they drank from the spiritual rocks that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians says. That's what Paul tells us. The spiritual rock, Christ, was with them in the desert. Paul says that Christ was the spiritual rock. But out of the spiritual, he manifested physical objects, didn't he? Things they could touch, they could see, they could taste. Out of the spiritual, He guided them with a cloud and with fire. He parted the Red Sea. He fed them when they were hungry. Out of the spiritual, he provided water to quench their thirst. And then, one day, over a thousand years later, this spiritual rock became flesh dwelt among us. Christ dwelt among us. He lived a sinless life among us. He taught us how to love God and the people around us perfectly. He did this to show his goodness to us and his presence with us. Yet, hard-hearted people. Rejected. I think Philip Ryken says this best. He says, and get this, this God sent his son into the world, and the people did to him what the Israelites wanted to do to Moses. The son of God was a man without a home, a wanderer on the earth. He was hungry and thirsty. And when his life was almost over, he was deprived of all of his rights. He was stripped, mocked, beaten, and then condemned to die. The most disgraceful and excruciating death, death on a cross. And that rock was Christ. And now we know, now we know because of his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection, this spiritual rock is near to you. You know, life life sometimes feels like a wilderness to us. And And we're tempted to harden our hearts, to accuse God of abandoning us. But let's remember, remind ourselves that Christ came into this world to be near us. He took the punishment for us that we deserves, We deserved. And he remains near us through his Holy Spirit. And that, my friends, changes everything. You know, I, I so much appreciate Gabriel's testimony. Thank you. Thank you for doing that for us today. Gabriel showed us the grace that God had us for him on his wilderness journey. Through his pain, day and night, he tells us that God has been near to him. God has become his source of strength and comfort. And there was was one thing in particular, one particular thing he said that stood out to me. And, And I think, tell me if I get this wrong, but I think he said, I would not trade the suffering of these past years for anything because God has taught me to rely on him. Did I get that right? God's faithful presence, God's faithful presence has become enough to quote Reichen again, he says, God is our provider and protector, our ever-present help in trouble. If we remember this, we will be able to trust him without grumbling or complaining. Now we know, we know that none of us will do this perfectly. We will forget. We do. And sometimes we find ourselves with a hard heart. But even in those times, God's faithful presence, his grace, is enough. For his power is made perfect in weakness. Despite the hardness of our hearts, God's grace is enough for us. Despite the hardness of our hearts, God's grace is enough for us. Let's pray. And I'd like to invite Nick and Philip back up on stage and the servers to come prepared to service the elements. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are so grateful to you for your overcoming grace, your overcoming grace to a hard-hearted people. You told us that in this world we would have trouble. Please help us to always remember to trust you through the trouble to trust in your nearness and your goodness toward us. We are grateful for your love to us, expressed most tangibly by your death on the cross. As we take these elements, we thank you for this glorious picture of so great a love that Jesus, our Savior, loved his people and gave himself up for his people to position us before you wholly and without blemish. Help us now to give thanks, believing this good news as we take the bread and cup together. It is in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you'd like to find out more about us.